What's up, everybody? This is Chef Marky Samson, and you're listening to This Moment. Big shout out to my co-host, Jason Diakite, a.k.a. Timbuktu. And today, I want to introduce you to an incredible icon, where really hip-hop and artists meet, right? It's Mr. Say Adams. He worked with everybody, from Jay-Z, DMX, Mary J. Bluff, LL Cool J, everybody, Beastie Boys. He is the one and only. When you think about how graffiti hip-hop and music have sort of merged as into one pop culture. Say Adams has been in these corners. We're going to talk to him about growing up in New York, tagging, incredible, being there when graffiti was really in the burst of it, right, in the beginning of it, and just his journey, which is incredible. Here is the one and only Mr. Say Adams. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The one Mr. Say. Adams, welcome to the podcast. How are you, Say? I'm good, Chef. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So it's it's really, first of all, thank you. It's a big honor. We're really, really excited. Talk to me a little bit about how does one become an artist in New York City? I think that's the $1 million question because ah. it's the toughest place in the world, the most competitive space in the world. And you've been navigating that space for 30 years now. Well, for starters, I am uh, born and raised in Harlem as, as yes. a little kid. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, I've been an artist my whole life. I mm -hmm. have never once thought about being anything else. Not a fireman, not a police officer, you know, absolutely nothing. Not an athlete. Mm -hmm. I, I've always been an artist. And where do you think that came from? Like, was that your family? Was it your neighbors? Was the neighborhood you grew up in? I, I, don't, I don't think any of that. To be honest, I don't even have a memory of not being creative from the time I was, you know, maybe five, my earliest memory mm -hmm. is just drawing and painting. And wow. it wasn't like I was nurtured from every direction. It was just all I needed was a, a pencil and a piece of paper. It, it, it wow. wasn't a big deal. And I think that growing up in an African-American family, the last thing people want to hear, uh, you know, as a career choice is that you are going to be an artist. It's always an artist and what else? So that's, that's exactly my point, right? Because, you know, we talk about the 80s in New York City, street graffiti, as we know it, is just taking form, right? So when you're thinking about art, were you inspired by the great Ramar Bearden, or were you thinking about uh, the great European painters? Because what are you? What's your inspiration tool at that point? Or are you thinking about what's happening around you? Well, my first entry point is definitely Jacob Lawrence and Ramar Bearden. Even before mm. I was aware of the pop artists of the '60s. I was aware of Jacob Lawrence and Ramar Bearden because I grew up, like I said, in Harlem and their work was everywhere. And it was just one of those things that informed a lot of who I was and who I wanted to be. What block, what side of Harlem? Because, you know, 
if you're in the east side, I get one picture. If you're on the west side, I get another one. If you're in central Harlem. So just give me a surrounding. Where, where did you grow up most well, of the time? Well, we were right by the Apollo Theater. Of course. Um, you know, so, so and, and you know, and again, I'm a, a little kid, but my, my father's whole family is from there. My mother's whole family. But, mm. you know, growing up, we were in, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. And, and, you know, after we left Harlem and then we, we ended up coming back. But when I was a little kid, we sort of were going back and forth between the South and mm-hmm. Harlem. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, which a lot of black families did, right? This, uh, you know, kids of the Great Migration is always that, you know, call and respond between the Virginias, the South Carolinas. Uh, is oh, it's it's you see it in the food, you hear it in the music, and you see it in the art, you know. And obviously, Jacob Lawrence and Ramar Bearden's, or copies of Jacob Lawrence and Ramar Bearden's, is in many many African American homes. Uh, I would say. So you also grew up as hip hop was born, as hip hop was still a subculture, but it. It was clear it became the music of that era. And it was also clear that graffiti had a major, major part. How did hip-hop and graffiti and b-boys and all of that stuff, how did that impact your life? Well, I was, you know, in a lot of ways, I sort of think about it like a young brother or sister because, you know, I, I grew up primarily in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And so hip-hop is just starting out in the South Bronx, in Harlem, in, in, you know, parts of Queens. Mm -hmm. And so I'm growing up watching this and and participating for the most part. But it was, you know, just a grassroots uh, culture. It it wasn't something that I, I spent a lot of time thinking about because it was all around me. But also... There were people that were just drumming. If somebody had a drum, they would play that. If people could, you know, bang on a garbage can lid, they would do that as well. It's no different than, I imagine, doo-wop in the 40s and 50s, people just standing on a street corner singing. It is, but it's also larger than that in a way because... Doo-wop definitely influenced R&B and how we think about even church music and how we think about pop today. But since hip-hop also has a very artistic, it impacts also art in a different way, right? So I've, I think I've said this to you before. When I was coming up, just like you, cooking's been the only thing I've been doing. It's the only thing that I was really ever good at. Uh, there wasn't a lot of black chefs that I could find, especially growing up in Sweden, right? So the first major influence in my life was Jean-Michel Basquiat. And Jean-Michel was somebody that you came up with, like, did you guys know that this thing graffiti would take off? Did you guys just go out there doing it? What type of dude was he? There's so many questions. Oh, yeah. You know what? It's like anything else there wasn't for me anyway personally there was not a whole lot of thought about the future it was all about now Mm, how do i survive today how do i get money to get a meal today how do i earn a couple of bucks today so i don't have to bug my parents but when i was a teenager it was very clear that whatever we were doing had to bear fruit because it was mandatory. It was mm. pure survival mode. I'm not saying that we didn't have a place to sleep and, and you know a roof over our head, but we had all this you know energy. And Jean Michel was another one of those people. You know, we were buddies back in the day, and we all were trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to make a mark to really let the world know that we are here. What we're Mm -hmm. doing has value. Wow. But, so, did you guys, did you, were you one of those kids that jumped on, you know, did graffiti on the train? Did you sell, how did you hustle it, right? Because I understand the talent is there 
and you're finding yourself at peace at it. But how did you, you know, how did you hustle it? How does like, you know what, I'm going to do postcards and sell them. Like, how did you make it a biz? All of it. Everybody <laughs> that knew me as a kid knew I was an artist. Whether I was painting jean jackets in high school, yes, or love them. whether I was doing flyers for people, wedding invitations, anything that had to do with visuals, I did it. Wow. You know, back in the 70s, we would paint the side of people's bell bottoms and just do their name, and it would be small Dope. at the top, and it would get larger as it went on. But I did everything. I painted grocery store signs. Wow. I, I learned how to do every single thing except portraiture. I always thought that was, you know, really complicated. But I, I did everything, absolutely everything you could think of that has to do with visuals to make money. In the 80s, I, you know, when my graffiti career sort of started, I was, you know, painting car washes and street signs. Very similar to the, the person in Harlem that did all those storefronts. Um, Frank, Frank, Frank. In, um, on 125th Street. Oh my. I, I did some of that as well. Nice. Mr. T is still there, by the way, and there's a lot of there's some great murals right in front, a block, a block, a block away from where you were, uh, grew up, on 125 on the southern side of the street. There's like six store gates where you have, and you can tell it's, it's kind of done in the late 80s right. because the sports, the athletes are like Carl Lewis or Flo Joe, so the reference point or Bo Jackson, so they're very late 80s, you know. But you could tell, I mean, and, and Harlem has respect. Even the hustlers that are out there has respect. No one is tagging up over Mr. T, you know, and that's what Frank did. You know, he did all those storefronts. And, you know, even kids that are doing crazy stuff knows that you're not messing with those pieces. Yeah. I mean, that, that was my upbringing. It, you know, as much as I'd hate to acknowledge it, all of the local hustlers and the dealers they took care of me. They made mm -hmm. sure I always had money in my pocket so I didn't have to steal and do other things for my art supplies. And everybody knew, don't mess with Say. He's an artist. Yeah. He's going places. And that was really the word on the street. I never, ever had a fight my whole life wow. because there was always someone looking out for me. And it's strange to say that as a grown man, but it really was. I've had a blessed life, even while I was struggling as a young artist coming up in New York City. It, it's, it's amazing as you say that, too, because uh, there's so much from that era that we still live off today, right? So you're coming up at the same time as Dapper's Dance Store. It's thriving, and guess what? Dapper Dan has his store still just a couple of blocks away. You're also coming up at the same time as like Teddy Riley, Key Sweat, you know, just a couple of housing blocks in Harlem away. And you know, they still producing music and just did their verses, for example, right? There is so much of pop culture today that came up at a very, very chaotic time. And right now we're living in a chaotic time. And I always say the only silver lining of this chaotic time is that I think the art and the music will be incredible post the pandemic. Can you talk about why is the art so good and the music and the culture output so good in these chaotic times? Well, I, I think it speaks about the conditions that we live in. Mm -hmm. If you think about fight the power, Oh, yes. In 1986, it, it, I'm sorry, 1989, I, I, I hear the lyrics in my head, 1989, it's that moment when it's hot, everybody's, you know, tense, they're on edge, and that music just busts through everything. And I yep. think that was the same thing with graffiti. We only had one medium which to express ourselves, and that was a spray can. And we had one canvas before people were even doing murals. You know, we, we were painting subway trains because it went from borough to borough to borough. And everyone could see your name. And that was just like the song Fame said. Yeah. I'm going to live forever. Forever, yeah. Baby, remember my name. Yeah. Fame. Oh my God, that's amazing. So I, I, I want to do two things. First of all, walk me through, you and your buddy, 
you're going out at a late night and you decide to tag a train. Is there a specific line that was better? Is there a specific platform? I know the one in the Bronx was really, really big or even in Washington Heights. Like what, where do we start? How do we tag it? Is this a morning thing? Is this a night shame? What are we doing? Well, certainly everything <laughs> happens at night when things slow down, even though People say New York is a city that never sleeps. Yeah. In, in those wee hours, that's when a lot of that takes place. And like a lot of my peers, I would sneak out after my parents went to bed. I would have to ride on the subway incognito with shopping bags so they don't make a whole lot of noise. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's really like, you know, James Bond. You know, like, you know, secret agent stuff. <laughs> We're not making a lot of noise. We're not trying to, you know, draw attention. Yeah. Even if we ran in a crew, everybody would sort of split up in the train so as not to draw attention to yourself. Wow. And it was one of these things where everything was meticulously thought out. You had your sketch. You had a certain amount of cans that were specific mm -hmm. colors, and you knew exactly what you were going to do. If you had a character, you drew it out a couple of times so you knew it looked right. You measured it against the train so it would match. And wow. really a lot of what we were doing while it was for the folks going to work the next morning to see, it was mm -hmm. also for our peers. And like, you know, the game, the dozens or anything else, it was always, how do I one up the next person? Yeah. So when you went to school the next day, people were talking about those subway trains. Wow. And then movies came out about it, right? That was game changing too, right? So I could see the crew, I could see a young Fab Five Freddy say, and a bunch of, you know, you know, the Rocksteady crew, I could see all of that. But like, so that's still subculture. And all of a sudden, a movie comes out and a couple of movies comes out and talk about what you guys are doing. How did that impact it? You were no longer anonymous. This was now a thing, right? Yeah. So when... Style Wars and Wild Style come out. Yeah. I think Style Wars was 1982 and Wild Style might have been 1981. And, and you know, I, I, I get them mixed up because they're so synonymous. Yeah. But when those things happen, all of a sudden, graffiti and hip hop culture Boom. go from being this localized thing to this sort of global phenomenon. And then everybody knows who these people are that make this art, that do this particular kind of dance, that make this music. It turned everybody into celebrities. Now, in some cases, you might have been a local celebrity, but ultimately, everybody recognized the fact that what we were doing was truly important and we mattered. Wow. So I want to ask a couple of things because I do think it's similar to this time. So... Y style, all of that stuff is happening. MTV is growing. Hip hop is not really played on MTV, but like eventually a little bit more, right? And then graffiti is being framed up and sold in a gallery in their mid 80s, right? That's got to be a pivotal moment too. When one of your buddies that you like been tagging with is like, wait up, I'm not just doing this on the on this corner, I'm actually in Soho selling. How, how is that? Well, it was wonderful because, like I said in the beginning, what we were doing was trying to change our circumstances. One piece, one mural, one commission at a time. And that was the greatest thing of all because, it, you know, even if we went to Mr. Chow's and it was a very expensive restaurant, None of us had any money. Still and, is, by the way. Still is, by the way. <laughs> yes. And so whether it was Keith Haring or Jean-Michel, Andy Warhol sitting at the table, you know, a, a lot of, you know, big time collectors, they would invite 20 of us and we'd all mm. just be sitting there. And when the check came, we knew that Andy or somebody is sitting on the end was picking up the tab because... We could barely afford one meal, let alone to feed 
30 people at a high-end restaurant. But the thing that was so great was that you saw the possibilities and what could happen if all the stars aligned because you needed you know, multiple collectors to buy your work in order for you to break out of the pack. While as a 50-something today, I love all of my friends that I came up with, but like anything else, we are in competition with each other, even mm. though we've remained friends for the better part of 40 years, we are all competing to us you know, in a sense. And pushing each other and actually also Certainly inspiring each well. other. Certainly yeah. pushing each other and supporting each other, but... We're all very competitive. <laughs> I love that. That's the New Yorker in you. That's the hustling. I love that. And the reason why I link it to this period and this era too is because there's another thing that is happening too, right? NFTs. So if moving the street art into the galleries, you were at that intersection. Now you're also part of this new intersection, which is called NFTs, which I just think is just so incredible. As an artist, you really have seen these waves come and go right and you've seen it with the birth of hip-hop and you see it with the birth of, of of course graffiti and you know the other thing i want so talk to me a little bit about what's your thoughts on nft then i want to talk a little bit more hip-hop and art well i was approached by the good folks at nifty gateway in 2019 about mm. doing my first nft drop and I did not truly understand what an NFT was. They really had to educate me like I was a little kid. And so they explained it. And I thought, okay, this is worth taking a chance. I'm a, a designer by nature, so I understand how digital art works. But I did not understand who the audience was. You know, why people would buy something as opposed to having something tangible that they could hold in their hand. That said, <clears throat> I took a chance and I did my first drop the summer of 2020 during the pandemic and it, it sold out within minutes. And I, I honestly thought something was wrong with my computer. Um, but, you know, I, I think that like a lot of things, it, 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 it has potential to be great as long as there's room for physical art as well. It's not one or the other. It's, it's like recorded music. It, it will never replace live music. So it's not one or the other. It's all and both. Yeah. And I say like, I mean, say you've done the 50,000 hours, not even the 10,000 hours. So you, it's okay not to always understand the end product. I'm just going to give an example. Someone on eBay was selling the air of when, Don, when Kanye uh, dropped his Donda album in Atlanta in the, studio, in the, in the stadium. Someone sold an air, airbag of that for like, I think it was $1,500. So it doesn't have to make sense. So, you know, your art is incredible. And the fact that it's sold out in minutes does not surprise me because uh, you've done the hours, you are open, you deserve everything that is coming to you. So my next question is, now you're moving into selling and doing work for artists. So you work with JC, you work with rappers and musicians forever, right? How did, when, were you the, when did you start to work with the first artist and how did that come about and how did you start building well, from that? Um, if I go back as far as I can remember, uh, which is Russell Simmons' Rush Artist Management, Russell managed Run DMC, Curtis Blow, LL Cool J, The Beastie Boys, Public Enemy, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, EPMD, Slick Rick, literally everyone, yeah. especially on the East Coast. Um, Russell gave me my first opportunity. He and Rick Rubin and Leo Cohen. And I just, you know, focused on making sure that the visual art that represented the recording artist was as good as it could be. I thought to myself, this is the, you know, the, the second or third coming of, you know, 
jazz and blues. Mm -hmm. Only we're younger. That was the way I looked at it. I thought, okay, this is just like rock and roll, only we're controlling this. Wow. This is young people's music. And I, I really just wanted to make sure that what we was doing was as good as the people that came before me. Mm. And that was my inspiration. So I think the first person that I worked with um, might have been the, the real Roxanne. And, yes. Uh, for her, her song, um, you know, Roxanne, Roxanne. See, yeah. I, you know, once I start thinking about this, it takes me so far back because it was such a long time ago. Uh, I love it. Roxanne, the Queens rapper, it's amazing. You know, like at that point, it was like Nina Cherry and Roxanne and a couple of other female rappers that just, in a, you know, it's, be, it's really before Salt and Pepper too. But I mean, you also talk about the gods who built, you know, think about Def Jam, right? They really took hip hop out of the basement from the Bronx into and really put it out there to the world. You think about where Rick Rubin and, and Lior and, and of course Russ and everybody did. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, and especially for East Coast hip hop that really essentially you know, built it. And the fact that you were right there working with these, your friends essentially, not icons sure. at that time, yeah. but they, they were the base, the base of what we call hip hop today. And then the fact that you, know, you can, these were your compadres coming up with, you know? Sure, yeah. I mean, it, it really breaks down all the barriers. For the purpose of this conversation, let's use Curtis Blow as an example, because sure. Curtis Blow really is rap's first superstar. And so I did Curtis Blow's first posters, t-shirt merchandise, everything. Wow. Absolutely everything. And, and, you know, we're talking about 1981, mm -hmm. 82, 83, very early years when you're talking about hip hop. And it was always about trying to do the best possible work for the recording artist. I knew then that I was behind the curtain and it was about making them shine. Mm. So Curtis Boyd, it's fascinating that you say that because you're right, right? Because DMC, Run DMC, and they come after that, and they're a group, they're a super group, essentially, right? And obviously, LL comes after that. So, you know, what, and you're like, let's make this as authentic and cool for the culture as possible, right? So did they, was there an icon, a sign, or how did you, how did you think about it from, uh, what's just the font that you focused on? What, tell me a little bit about the craftsmanship of it. Well, I, I did my homework. I, I really studied the history of graphic design because I knew I could do graffiti lettering, but I wanted to make sure that I understood the language because when things went to the printer, you had to speak a graphic language. They didn't care about how nice you were on the subway trains. They mm. didn't care what your relationship was to graffiti culture. All they cared about was will this print and will it look good on a 12 inch? And the thing that I learned immediately was just study, do your homework, know that everything that you're putting out there has to be as good as the professional folks on Madison Avenue because those are the people that ultimately are gonna get that opportunity. But because I spoke the same language as the hip hop recording artists, I got the job because they knew that I had yeah. the same sensibility because I came from the neighborhood. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think it's fascinating too, right? Because if you go to a fashion show today, or if you look at uh, Louis Vuitton or Gucci, whatever is considered high-end fashion, it's all today, there is a merge between street fashion hip-hop culture and what's considered high-end fashion right you think about it in the sneaker culture you think about it in in everything right like it's all merged and it come out of the music of hip-hop but also the art form of hip-hop right where really the street culture of graffiti is such a big part and i also think andy was really smart andy world's really really smart when he 
paid for those dinner for 20 of you, right? He also knew that by speaking to you and by speaking to Sean Michel and everybody, he all of a sudden had his hand or an ear to the street. And he knew what was going on, and he didn't know that. that his way of, he was really the connector between sort of the, the art buyer, the artist, and street, right? So he knew that this thing that, uh, that he's essentially selling comes from a place, right? And in food, it's the same thing. Yeah. Once yeah. you brought down the barriers of fine dining and street food, which we as chefs, we're like, what are you talking about? Delicious is delicious. There needs to be some craft and structure behind it. Right. And these barriers were all broken down, I would say, in the 90s. But eventually, once internet and food met, it changed forever. How do you think your work and internet has changed the possibilities and the barriers for your work? Well, certainly reach. I think reach is the key word, but also authenticity. Mm. The internet is a great tool, but it's just that. It is a tool. And I think that the most important thing, and, and you know, now that I'm talking to you, it, it makes me want to go back and sort of research this word. One of the earliest words that we used in hip-hop culture was flavor. Flavor, yeah. Flavor. Born with and the flavor, yeah. if something had flavor, it broke down all those barriers. Mm. And that's the thing that I think about now is what I had was flavor. You know, it's just a little seasoning. But mm -hmm. it also speaks an unspoken language with other people that get it. You don't have yeah. to tell them. It's like Rakim said, it ain't where you're from, it's where mm. you're at. And yeah. that was the thing I think that helped me a lot. When I'm in Europe with Run DMC or when I'm you know, in, in uh, you know, Asia with the Beastie Boys, mm -hmm. everybody understood that I was down with the crew and the work that I was doing was going to be authentic. And I think ultimately, that translated into the fine art that I am making today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. One of my, um, you know, one of the challenges or things in life is raising a child, right? One of the biggest joys is raising kids. And your son just started to work with you in the studio. So is that pressure for him? How did you guys talk about it? Did he, is he comfortable? Is he not comfortable? Talk to me about, because I'm thinking about my son, right? We're cooking a lot. And I'm like, obviously he's much younger, but it's like, you know, everyone's asked, is Zion's going to be a chef? I was like, don't ask if Zion's going to be a chef. Leave him alone. Right, let him be a boy. Uh, yes, exactly. You know, the, the, the thing that I want my son to understand first and foremost is that I love him more than life mm. itself. Number one. Wow. So if I start there, Every single thing I've done in my life it, it, after I'm 20 years old is all about him. It's all mm. designed to change his circumstances. Mm. Fate would have it that he's a really talented artist, but he hasn't been on the journey. And mm. the journey is what makes everything great. You know yourself. It's like you can be the best chef in the world. But if you haven't had any life experience, mm. that stew is not going to taste the same yes. than it would if somebody has been around and they understand those ingredients that they're putting in that pot. And so for me, I, I love working with my son every day. I get to look across the room and see him painting, see him drawing. I don't care what he's doing. As long as he's happy and Beautiful. I'm spending quality time with him, mission accomplished. Yeah. And coming off of this pandemic, that was the wake up call for me. I wanna spend every moment I have doing wow. what I love to do and to have him by my side. Beautiful, that's beautiful. See, I wanna ask another thing too. You know, when I was coming up and still is, you know, the navigation between drugs and my industry food, you know, drugs, it was just not that chefs were doing drugs in America or in Europe. It, it was everywhere. Right. And I always knew this just wasn't my path. I was around it. It was just not my path. I feared it. Um, for me, I took decisions like I'm adopted, so I don't know my parents' uh, DNA, so I don't know if I, I have an addicting personality. So I just feared it in many different ways. I also knew that being a black kid in foreign country, if something would go down, I knew I would be the one blamed quickly, right? So there was all these different things that for me, I knew I could navigate through because this was just not the path for me. You growing up in the 70s and the 80s and during the crack uh, pandemic, how did you know? Because you knew kids around you that was doing it or got hurt by it. How did you know that that was just not your path? I, this is going to sound really strange, but years and years ago, Nancy Reagan did a PSA called Just Say No. And <laughs> I, you know, I just, I only needed to hear it once. I, I remember seeing junkies in Harlem yeah. In the 70s. And yeah, you know, I'm a little kid, but I understood I don't want that to be my destiny. Wow. And a lot of people that I knew in the neighborhood were, you know, alcoholics and winos and all of that. Mm -hmm. So by the time crack rolls around, to me, it's just a, a, another version of that. And it, it was designed to destroy the black community. Like I truly believed that. So I said to myself, I do not want to be one of those statistics. I, I have something greater in mind. And I think wow. that a lot of people around me saw that as well. And so when I tell that story about the local drug dealers really supporting me, you know, 
I knew where their money came from, but yeah. ultimately I was trying to get somewhere. And I, I just, I, I don't know. I think that God had a much bigger plan for me. And I just decided that I was going to stay the course and I was going to focus on my art career. And I would always look the other way. If people were doing things, I would just leave. Yeah, or too. I would just say, no, thank you. Uh, yeah. I'm okay. And they didn't push. Now, I, I think that's, thank you for sharing that. First of all, shout out, because that means, meant that that piece of work, Nancy Reagan, right? If, it, if, if one kid heard it and it worked, so that was, that was really good, meaningful work. But I understand the junkie perspective, because that, you can't really relate to that. You just saw that was bad. But then also in the early days of hip hop and going on, you know, and Russ has talked about this and... There was also the drugs around the young artists that wasn't really considered addicts. They were just party drugs. Like, so it's almost, that's harder to avoid because those are your peers. Those are your guys. You're on the plane with them. You go travel in the world. You're 19, 20, 21 years old. And I felt the same thing in cooking. I knew which chefs were like doing drugs and party drugs. And I just left the room. And they knew also like, okay, Marcus doesn't want to, he's not doing this. So, you know, very early for me, at 23, one of my chefs died. He died. He OD'd. And that was a wake-up call for me. It's like, whoa, this is not some junkie on the corner that I can't really relate to. This is someone that I knew deeply. And, I mean, you've had it when, for example, Jean-Michel Basquiat dies, right? And, and other people are not as famous, but they're in your network. So that's also moments like that when you start and go with more funerals and weddings. You know that this is, this is not just the guy in the, the junk in the corner. This is actually in my peers group, right? Yeah. I mean, I, sadly, I've lost a lot of my creative friends to drugs and all you need to do is see one person OD in the early 20s and, and you know that, that, you know, this is not something that I want to do with my life. My friend Dave Skilkin uh, from the Beastie Boys crew, he OD'd, you know, and, and then, you know, you look at Jean-Michel. These were bright lights, talented people. And it was just something that I was always aware of. I, I don't know how or why. But I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm a representative for them because they are no longer here. And I certainly feel that way about Jean-Michel. Wow. While everyone is aware of his success and he is a household name and there are millions of people that love his art, I would rather have the man back on the street Amen. hanging out. And I would trade all of that just to have him back. I was thinking about, you know, the other day when I, I got in my feed, you know, the JC Beyonce collab with Tiffany, and the backdrop is Jean-Michel Basquiat's artwork, right? So the biggest art promotion in the world basically drops, right? And there, you know, he's been gone longer than he's been alive, do you know what I mean? And you can argue the biggest couple in hip-hop, I'm sure, you know, uh, and Tiffany on top of that, right? And there it is, the art of that was really created in the in the Bronx or in Manhattan or in the Queens or or in in Brooklyn. When you see things like that, do you do you just like smile? Because you have you have the you know all of the sort of the links to that. Do you just laugh or do you say like, hey, we came far? Or what's what's your when you see? You know something what like I that, think? I think. We've made it because wow. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I could not have dreamt that big. And I've had some really blessed moments in my life. And I, I just think, wow, we made it. it wow. And it's not even about money as much as we made the world stop and pay attention to what we were doing. Mm. We have value. And that's the one thing that I do want young people to know. So when I talk to them, I says, forget about trying to make more money than this one or that one. Just understand that your life has value. 
Wow. The journey is more important than all of it. So I come into this as a fan of hip hop, all of its culture, right? And I've studied it. So like I read about Papu, the first official tag in Washington Heights, like the Dominicans, you know, like, and I'm sure for someone like you that were there, it's like, whatever, that doesn't mean anything because you're just out tagging. Like, do, do you know what I mean? There's some, there's a different lens when you read about it because it's created and read on. And then to be there, right? Like, was there, who in your world said, hey, people are tagging trains now. And you're like, oh, let's do that. That's dope. Like, who, who, who put the light switch on for you on that? You know, I don't even have a, a, a clear memory of it in that way. But, I, you know, I had a crew of guys from my neighborhood. And the thing that we learned early on was in order to make your mark, you have to leave the neighborhood. Wow. And that was just crystal clear. We had to get the guys in the Bronx to take notice. And we were from Queens, so yeah. we already had that going for us. And this is before Run DMC takes off. So there's nothing that you can say that is going to be worth beating your chest for. And it was really just knowing that we were as good as everyone else and we had to go out there and prove it. And... That's what everything is about, and hip-hop especially. You know, that MC, DJ is really great, but guess what? I'm better. You haven't mm -hmm. heard of me yet, but you will. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about the culture. It's as great as you think you are, ASAP Ferg is coming. Yeah. And he's coming to take that crown. Yeah. Kendrick Lamar is coming. And... That's what's so beautiful about it. Cardi B. Uh, snatch. They're coming. <laughs> yes, yes. Unapologetically, uh, it's unapologetically black in this culture, in its core, but it's also urban at its, you know, has no nationality. And the other thing that I think is so amazing, the reason why it also makes me so happy to hear this is because my co-host and the co-founder of this moment is... Jason Timbuktu, an incredible rapper out of Sweden. He's American. You met him, but he's also Swedish. And hip-hop is local, right? Well, you know this, right? But it's local to the core of... It's not just French hip-hop. It's like local to an accent in Sweden or local in Japan or it's local in all over the world, right? Which also means all the four corners of the, of the culture. The, so the b-boys are local, right? That means also like the graphics and the art of it is local. So this thing, that's why for me, it's so much bigger than the bebop, right? This created identity and worth and value proposition and resistance and advocacy and activism. It's the most important cultural influence that has ever happened to us, right? And you start to see it because You know, the Museum of, of Manhattan had a hip-hop collection, what, four years ago now? And of course, you were part of that, and Jeanette and all of our friends were part of that. And guess what? In two years, there will be the first hip-hop museum in the Bronx. And I can't wait until when that opening day, when we're all going to walk through. I'm going to walk in the back because you guys have to work first. But I am so excited about that. Could you believe this thing that, you know, Herc and them cooked up in the Bronx and they went to you guys in Queens and now it's worldwide, is yeah. now going to have its own building? Yeah, I mean, it's so exciting. I, I am beside myself every day thinking about the possibilities because the... 15-year-old me, the 20-year-old me, even to some degree the 25-year-old me could not have imagined all of this amazing stuff happening. And, you know, it, it sort of leads me into talking about my collaboration with the National Museum of African American History and Culture in D.C. Yes. And getting an opportunity to work with the Smithsonian, it's the highest museum in the land. And I know that this is audio, but as you can see, behind me is a giant black American flag. And this one in particular 
is titled Medgar, Martin, and Malcolm. And it celebrates Medgar Evers, Martin Luther King, and Malcolm X. And it, it really chronicles not only their lives, but their deaths, because it was made during the pandemic. And I was really trying to echo a lot of what was going on during the Black Lives Matter movement. And so I thought that I would make a tribute to the three of them. Wow. It's, I mean, Smithsonian's are so lucky. They're going to work with you. It's amazing. And it just shows how far we come. Um, where is the culture 10 years from today, 15 years from today? Where do you think we are? Where is this going? Where is heading? Where, what do you see? I hope young people take a look back because mm -hmm. we've had so much pain, but it's also time to acknowledge all of the amazing, talented people that came before the young people that are having success today. Mm. So whether it's Jean-Michel or Keith Haring or, or Fab Five Freddy or, or, you know, Frosty Freeze and Crazy Legs from the Rocksteady crew, <laughs> even if they're alive, acknowledge the people that came before you because you would not even understand how to do this work how to honor this art form if those people didn't pave the way. And to me, that's one of the things I love about this particular point in my life is that I have an opportunity to say thank you to Curtis Blow, thank you to Houdini, thank you to DMX, thank you to Biz Marquis. I've worked with all of them and I feel so honored and blessed to be here to tell people what amazing individuals they were. I'm not saying that folks don't have flaws and demons, no, no. they do, but man, these are really talented people. Wow. Um, I wanna, I'm just also in the middle of this, um, wanna say a big resting flavor, resting peace also to Michael K. Williams that, in the acting world came up exactly in this moment. And I think in his space anchors this culture in an incredible way. And I thank him for everything that he gave us. Uh, I, I've been a mess for the last two weeks once, since I found out that he passed. Um, we talked a lot about food. He came to the restaurant a lot. We talked a lot about his journey. And it's a parallel journey, and I knew that's somebody that I know you know, and, and it's just another, when you talk about talent and incredible and gave to the culture, uh, it just, I just had to, I just had to give in. Talk, I appreciate you saying it. that. You know, I don't like to be somebody that jumps on the bandwagon talking about you know, what I did for someone else, but what I'll talk about is what Michael K. Williams did for me. Wow. I met Michael K. Williams in the 80s, and I had a, a little clothing line called BAM, and it stood for By Any Means Necessary. I love that. Malcolm love X. that. Yes. And Michael K. Williams was kind enough to model, along with Tyson Beckford, for free. And that's how we know each other. And stop, I, I, stop. I, you got these two supermodels because people don't know. Michael that, started you know, as a model. You know, I'm, I'm a native New Yorker. And shout out to Beth Ann Hardison because she, she's, you know, the brilliant mother that keeps yep. all of this together for us. And she was somebody that gave me a lot of advice growing up in New York during that time. Yes. But Michael was a really kind soul. And when his career took off, I could not have been prouder. And we've linked up a couple of times recently. We saw each other in 2019. Yeah. And we just shake our heads and, and, and give thanks because none of it ever has to happen. And, and it's always about the journey, like I said before. So, you know, rest in peace, Michael K. Williams. 
No, I I mean, Michael's journey is incredible. He started out as a model. He was a dancer. Of course, he was an incredible actor. He just actually came back from Ethiopia, and he was supposed to come on this moment, and we were going back and forth on when. And it was he just came back from Ethiopia. I was always interested in what's happening in Ethiopia specifically. We talked a lot about that. And we talked about food, you know, like because one of the, um, his nephews uh, is into cooking, so was, we had a lot of different back and forth on that. But I appreciate that and you always highlight and emphasize other people say a proud moment for me was our collaboration you did a billboard basically it's still there it's a beautiful billboard right basically a block and a half away from where you you know partly grew up in Harlem it's it's a stone throw away from the Apollo it's on 125th and Frederick Douglass on a corner in the Magic Johnson building and I was just I was more I was more excited than you because <laughs> I just felt like people would look up and see that work your work and for me it also showed that hip-hop has arrived because we can now do billboards in the most prominent space, competing with graphic design that people worked on and spent millions of dollars on, but this thing called hip hop can now be a piece in the most sought after corner, one of the most sought after corners in Manhattan. And you did that, and for me it was just like, it was an amazing thing that I was really, really excited well, about. Well, it was a joy for me because I, I'm connecting the dots of where I come from. I come from Harlem. Mm. One of the first words that we learned growing up in hip hop, fresh. Yes. Fresh. And that was my motivation. I knew. I thought, okay, you're a chef. I don't have to explain what freshness is. And it, and it is also one of those things that everybody understands it. What does that mean? That's pure freshness. Mm. And ideally... That was what my motivation was when I was working on the piece. I thought, okay, this is truly one of the biggest stages in the world. We were right across the street from the world-famous Apollo Theater. This mural is a full city block long. And I thought to myself, wow, how do I convey a message that speaks to people on the street about the essence of freshness? And I thought, okay, I'm taking it back to graffiti school, 101. And I want those letters to jump off there. But I also want to have that, that bright Harlem sun starting things off. And then the earth tones from the brownstones. And I, I thought about the African prints and the fabrics of the vendors that sell on the street corner. Yes. And I tried to incorporate all of that into that work. So again, thank you, Chef, for inviting me to participate. Thank you so much. Say, before we go, uh, where can people find you on social media? What's your handle? My Instagram handle is say, C-E-Y-A-D-A-M-S. And I, I'm on uh, Twitter, same thing, first name and last name, Say Adams. And I, I'm just thankful that you had me on the show. I, I listen all the time and just keep working and just keep cooking good food, chef, because I'm always ready to show up with a fork in, in the <laughs> Thank you for everything. I really appreciate you, Mr. Say Adams. When you're in New York City, come and check out all his work, but also go on IG and check it out. Be inspired. And don't forget to wait for that NFT because next time it's not going to take minutes to sell out. It's going to be seconds. Thank you, Say. Thank you, Chef. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 